Welcome to Challenging Paradigm X. My name is Xerxes Washengear. In my podcast, I'm interviewing people who challenge the status quo. In this week's edition, we will talk about topics like are we in a dreamlike state? Maybe something like a collective psychedelic trip? Is the current ecological crisis possibly the necessary crack in the eggshell on our way to collective awakening? Maybe a consciousness revolution or even the next step in human evolution? And what is the power of initiation and why we need initiation rituals on a global level to solve the problems of the future? Today, my interview partner is Daniel Pinchback, renowned author and intellectual, who has written books on topics ranging from shamanism and psychedelics over bigger global transformational processes to the current ecological crisis. So if you're interested in these topics, I'm sure you don't want to miss this episode. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm happy to be here with Daniel Pinchback. So Daniel, introduce yourself in, with your own words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my name is Daniel Pinchback. Uh, I'm a, mainly an author, writer. I've written a number of books. My first book came out in 2002. It was called Breaking Open the Head. It was about psychedelic shamanism. Then in 2006, 2007, I came out with a book called 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl. And then I did some other things. I was featured in a documentary. I helped start a company in New York called Evolver, uh, which had a web magazine called Reality Sandwich. And we published a number of anthologies um, that I edited. But I didn't really publish a third book until 2017, I would say. Mm-hmm. That was a book called How Soon Is Now, which was kind of looking at the ecological emergency from a system design perspective. And then more recently in September, I published a book with a, a woman anthropologist on ayahuasca yeah. called uh, When Plants Dream, kind of overlooking the whole phenomenon of the global spread of ayahuasca. And I've been publishing just some self-published Shorter essay books, uh, one on kind of uh, UFOs and uh, aliens, one yeah. on kind of rethinking aspects of 2012, yeah. uh, and so on. So, yeah. Okay. So, you've uh, actually covered a variety of topics with your books. What would you say is uh, why you do what you do? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I had like an existential emergency in my late 20s. Mm-hmm. I'd grown up in a materialist kind of culture, like uh, nobody I knew, you know, believed in anything mystical or spiritual or religious. Mm-hmm. Everybody just thought consciousness was entirely based in the brain and the universe was an accidental kind of phenomenon. Yeah. We were accidental parts of this accidental yeah. phenomenon. There wasn't really any meaning to anything. So ultimately I had like a massive crisis of consciousness in my mid to late 20s. And then I remembered psychedelics and started exploring them again. And that opened me up. I had so many powerful, transformative psychic experiences. And I mean, another big issue for me from the beginning was why are humans kind of out of control on the planet? Why, are, mm. why do we seem to be destroying our own life support systems? Why is it impossible for people even to take that with the gravity and the severity of, uh, that it requires? Okay. So even when I wrote, yeah, Breaking Open the Head, uh, I mean, the first time I went to the jungle and the Amazon and Ecuador and I saw how fast the oil companies were, you know, pulling mm-hmm. it apart and toxifying it. 
And then, yeah, so once I, once I went through these kind of, it's a long answer, I guess. I don't know yeah, much, it you know. does. <laughs> Just, you have, time. you have time. I went through various initiatory experiences. I visited the Bwiti in Gabon taking uh, Iboga. Yeah. And visited the Sequoia tribe community in, in Ecuador to work with ayahuasca. And visited the Mazadics in, in Mexico. And I began to have a lot of psychic experience, paranormal experience that seemed linked to undergoing this kind of initiation, which is what many of these ancient texts talk about. So I began to really come to the conclusion that there was more to this holic indigenous cosmology, shamanic worldview, occult yeah. perspective, that, that that actually had to be taken very seriously, and that our denial or repression of the psychic and spiritual and occult aspects of reality were, had to be somehow part of this multi-dimensional crisis that's been yeah. unleashed on the planet. So, yeah, so then once I developed that perspective, then I looked at the, the 20, 2012 book, I looked at the, you know, prophecies of cultures like the Maya and the Aztecs and the Hopi and also the Yuga cycle of uh, ancient India and kind of the prophetic traditions of the monotheistic religions, which, you know, everybody seems to be pointing towards, you know, this time as this culmination or this threshold of transformation. And okay. Either it's, you know... Some, Even in the monotheistic uh, Well, in a sense. I mean, in the U.S., many fundamentalists believe that we are in this sort of apocalypse time. And they're actually trying to accelerate, you know, the exact conditions that are described in the last, you know, the book of Revelation or whatever. But even from a Jungian perspective, like Carl Jung believed that the archetype of the apocalypse, as he called it, was constellating in the human psyche in, yeah. in the, you know, 20th or 21st century. Okay. So would you also call that spiritual emergence in your late 20s, you said, as like the first turning point of your life? I would be interested how you think this type of spiritual emergence has an impact, uh, why it happens in someone's life and uh, which impact it does have on the rest of a life and in this case in your life. Sure. I guess, um, you know, wh one question is whether one believes in things like karma and yeah. reincarnation and so yeah. on and whether like you know, spirits or souls have evolved in different ways yeah. and different. So like, you know, I mean, people could go through exactly similar conditions as I went through, but not then come out of it with like a longing to connect with a, you know, some, some deeper truth or, but for whatever, you know, reason, it was my, my combination, my psycho psychology and karma. And, you know, I, I guess I had some inklings because like, My mother had been part of a group of writers and artists called the Beat Generation. Yeah. And she'd been involved with Jack Kerouac. And okay, yeah. I knew Allen Ginsberg growing up. And they were actually like in the 1940s after the Second World War. They were all like in the circle around in New York or in Columbia University. And they were just trying to figure out why there was like a no a kind of like a spontaneous, spontaneous, spontaneous expression of human individuality in their culture. That everything was kind of uh, constructed and... You know, they felt there was like no consciousness. You listen to the politicians yeah. or to academics or whatever. So they decided they had to sort of excavate their consciousness by whatever means necessary. So that included, you know, experience with sexuality, experiments with, you know, drugs, with, you know, journeying like hobos around the world yeah. and so on to break through the sort of constraints and the structures. And that really, they were a big inspiration for the hippie movement in the 60s. Yeah. But Yes, yeah, so, you know, but, but you know, so, one of the, so basically one of the main things about the Beats was that you really couldn't trust any experience unless you had it for yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, so really believe in, you know, direct experience, 
you know, transmission of consciousness, spontaneity. And I was working in the media and in magazines and so on. And most of the people I knew were really not into that. It was more about the sort of second generation perception through the mediation of the culture, you know, and sort of got of, you know, in jokes, cultural, I don't know. It was just like the idea that you would actually go out and excavate, you know, truth for yourself or try to like find something like essential or have these types of, which is not very, now it's more popular in the culture. Yeah. And now in the last uh, 15, 20 years, I think there's a lot more emphasis on that partially because of the growing popularity of psychedelics and, yeah. you know, for other reasons. Okay. So when you like compare your development to your mother's development, for mm -hmm. example, would you say it's in a way, or it was a way of connecting on a different level to the experience they made when, when they were growing up? Or do you think it was actually somehow a experience of questioning everything you have done in your life before? You see what I'm... Uh, well, from? yeah, I wasn't trying to copy their experience. It was more like they gave me the... Um, or building on it. The inspiration, this idea that, you know, because I look at my friends who, you know, were in different circumstances than I am at that time and who didn't end up, you know, going to Africa and taking a boga, going to Ecuador yeah. taking ayahuasca. And some of them ended up dying of heroin overdoses and yeah. so on because they got very depressed. But I think having that connection to the to the beats and this notion that you really could only... It's very, you know, it's the same idea you find in like Gnosticism, or whatever. Like you, you have to open the door for yourself. Nobody yeah. else can open. The fact that somebody else opens a door doesn't mean anything to you. You have to go and do the, do that for yourself. So in a way, it was a continuation of your own path, but influenced. But uh, what are you seen from the generation before? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, mm -hmm. generations before that. I mean, I think it's a lineage of you know Gnostics, Romantics, yeah. like alchemists, like okay. the, the the you know the underside of you know, the Christian capitalist juggernaut. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, well, I mean, for example, a lot of people I know around Groff, for example, they believe, like, in the spiritual emergence as uh, being this one-time event that kicks off a lot in your personal experience uh, for your life. Was that, like, the one turning point in your life? Or later on in your development, you felt like there were different turning points as well that have also influence on the work you do today? Well, I mean, there definitely been a number of turning points, mm. but that was probably the most significant. I mean, th then in you know writing the second book, the 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl, I was researching the you know Maya and the Aztecs and young ideas, of, young ideas of the apocalypse and all these other things, and then had a, a transmission experience of like mm. like a voice that announced itself as the voice of Quetzalcoatl, like. Mm giving me this prophetic transmission over the course of a week. Okay. So that was like a channeling experience that I didn't believe in, you know, and even remain, maintain skepticism even in the book, but that was quite transformational also. Yeah. And then the next, and then, and then when I was starting my company in 2006, I really thought there was a way to rally people cleverly to kind of um, put together a new cultural paradigm to kind of address the ecological emergency And now it's been another turning point of the last few years. So I'm, I'm very sort of like pessimistic in a sense. I feel like we've, and maybe there wasn't even time back then, yeah. but I, I feel that we may have, you know, really missed the boat to, and, and maybe, you know, but then you have to see that as like an evolutionary, that was just what happened, you know, yeah. that, that the, you know, the, the effects of what we're doing to the planet are far outracing now our capacities to, 
you know, awaken and, and, and restore the, the, yeah. the balance. Okay. So, because you said now you have like a little bit of more pessimistic outlook. How old were you? When was it when your first spiritual emergence took place? It was like Saturn return, 28, 29, something like that. Okay. Yeah, 29, 30. The head came out when I was 35. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And like after that, you feel you had a much more positive vision of the future. I mean, I was certainly, I was certainly very excited because I really was fascinated by the idea that this 2012, the, the way the Maya points to 2012 as the, this culmination of this long cycle, and the yeah. work that particularly Jose Arguelles uh, did about that in his book, like Earth Ascending and the Mind Factor. Yeah. Yeah. That you know we might actually be have have like a breakthrough or like an a, a uplift uh, to a level of uh, collective consciousness, kind of what Mar Arguelles talked about as like the activation of the newosphere. Yeah. And you know, and, and you know, and McKenna, Terence McKenna, who's yeah. another major psychedelic figure, talked about yeah. it as the singularity or the eschaton. Yeah. So I didn't necessarily think that those things were going to happen on or around 2012, and they still very well might happen. But I definitely felt that it was fascinating that this ancient culture was pointing towards this time and we really could see it as some, such a crescendo in terms of the effects we're having on the planet, the rapid evolution of our technology, the meaning of all the, you know, the world's mystical traditions and so on. But I, now I'm sort of, you know, like, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how well-versed you are in this material or how interesting it is to you. I'm very interested. Like, like Graham, Graham Hancock had yeah. written this book, Fingerprints of the Gods. Yeah. And he found all this evidence all around the world that they were looking towards 2012 as he thought as a physical catastrophe. Like there would yeah. be like massive flooding yeah, or, yeah. or a you know, comet would hit the earth or something. And, you know, his book was a huge bestseller. And then that, none of that stuff happened like that. But then I'm thinking maybe we're actually the comet. Like maybe what these ancient traditions saw was the end of a cycle, the culmination of a process beginning at or around that date. But that cycle is something that ultimately leads to a world that either doesn't contain humans at all or contains like very, very few of us in yeah. much more precarious yeah. circumstances. I mean, and I still think there's the hope, I and mean, that's what How Soon Is Now is about, that you know, we're, we're, we can see that we're going deeper into an emergency, yeah. right? Like Australia, massive fires, a billion animals yeah. just died in Australia. Yeah. The Arctic, 65 degrees Fahrenheit, warmest by far than it's ever been things melting like crazy, you know, the ancient, you know, methane that's that's frozen in the in the Arctic is now releasing and we're yeah. seeing like the, basically the winter here was like yeah. spring the whole winter. Yeah, exactly. So things are actually accelerating faster exactly. than the worst predictions of a few years ago. Yeah. And then you have like, you know, whether it's the Pentagon or like the, you know, different institutes issuing reports that, you know, it's looking quite possible, but there wouldn't be human civilization. Certainly as we now know, it won't be possible yeah. by 2050, yeah. you know. But even that could be, it could happen even, you know, faster than that. I mean, yeah. considering the acceleration of the acceleration yeah. and all the feedback loops. Yeah. So, but it, it could still be that this is something like, you know, the necessary, like, cracking of the egg. I mean, yeah. there is like, a, you know, there's this strain, particularly in American thought of like, you know, conscious evolution, yeah. like Barbara Marx Hubbard, yeah. this idea that maybe what's happening is we're undergoing something like a caterpillar into a butterfly metamorphosis yeah. and we're yeah. in the sort of pupation stage where the within the cocoon the caterpillar yeah. is like devouring like every last piece of resource and it looks like it's all done but then it's going to emerge into another form so exactly. it, it could be that there you know and, and we ha we can see that for instance you know we do now have a global communications infrastructure 
where anybody in the world, you know, except maybe in China, will be able to see your podcast, you know, as yeah. soon as you put it up and so on. So theoretically, that could be utilized as a kind of very, very rapid, you know, learning machine for humanity. Yeah. If, for instance, we realized that we all had to stop consuming fossil fuels and compost and, you know, grow food. I mean, all of those skills could be taught you know, through the internet yeah. and, you know, we have 3D printers yeah. whatever tools that people yeah. needed could be made. So it, it could be that the whole thing that we've created is, you know, setting us up for this, this sudden collective yeah. awakening. Yeah. You know, I, I, that would be amazing. But the other yeah. possibility, you know, and then even if we had, mm, you know, huge catastrophes yeah. like floodings and droughts and everything, you know, maybe we could still cobble it together, but we, you know, basically eradicate, the nation state boundaries, yeah. you know, the current financial system, yeah. forget all of that. We would need to use, you know, potentially blockchain or whatever to construct totally different ways for people to, you know, communicate, make decisions together, apportion resources yeah. and so on. You know, so that it could be that this whole capitalist system is just like um, on the verge of, yeah, breaking down. But if, if we have enough of that creative and technical understanding and initiative, even in that breakdown, maybe we can actually construct you know, this other thing that would actually yeah. work for humanity. Yeah. yeah. So that's one, you know, I can look at the different avenues. One yeah. is we just go extinct. Yeah. One is we have this incredible breakthrough yeah. and we decide to all work for the human family as a whole, everybody's benefit. And another is, you know, smaller enclaves of wealthy people, yeah. maybe handfuls of indigenous people in like the mountains of Peru will survive and everybody else is just going to go down in flames. You yeah. Know? That almost seems like the most likely one, but I do, yeah. but I do see the, the range of options. Yeah. Okay. I see, I see what you mean. <laughs> So, basically, when we look back, it's now eight years since uh, 2012 have, yeah. have passed. So, I mean, when you look at big shifts happening, then it could be that it actually started and it's just taking some time. Because when we look at, for example, like the Industrial Revolution, it took 100 years to fully evolve. So, it could be that a new cycle started in the way that you perceive it, but well, just we're, not yeah, we're, 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 going we're, forward so quickly. Sure, but I, mean? I, I think that we're in actually, you know, a very different reality now than we were, you know, 10 or 15 years ago yeah. and even eight years ago. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, the Trump presidency is an unbelievable, you know, kind of phenomenon. Now we see the historical parallels to the rise of fascism and yeah. Hitler and so on. But, you know, there's something about it that feels almost like dreamlike. It, do, it does almost feel like since 2012... There's been a shift in the human psyche, and it's almost like more like we're on this collective, you know, psychedelic trip together. Yeah. Everything is highly intensified, you know, yeah. and a lot of people feel the amping up in different ways. Nawadal tradition, which is the Aztec tradition, there's a guy called Sergio Magana, okay. who's written a book called The Dawn of the Sixth Sun. Okay. And he says that their view of it from the Aztec Nawadal lineage is that 2012 to 2021 are actually the transition from what they call the age of the fifth sun to the age of the sixth sun. Okay. The fifth sun, which was the last 5,200 years or whatever, okay. was a sun of light, yeah. and we're moving into a sun of darkness. Okay. And that's, that's their characteristics. But the sun of light means a time when human consciousness is more focused on you know, daylight, clarity, waking, rationality, reason, you know, science, technology, and so on. As we move into the sun of darkness, the sun of darkness signifies like the dream world and the psyche. So actually, in a sense, we're going back into something more like a dream, like a lucid dream reality, yeah. Yeah. where manifestation happens faster, but where 
you know, our thoughts can be very destructive and can go. So, so I think that is really fascinating because it does feel like, like something like that is happening. Although, yeah. although you know, when you over literalize it, it can also seem kind of ridiculous. But, but if you kind of, you know, just, just kind of, when I, I mean, I've done a lot of work trying to understand how to approach kind of occult and esoteric, you know, cosmologies and concepts and so on. And it's like a little bit different than just scientific evidence. Yeah. You have to approach it, you know, with a kind of intuition, imagination, kind of artistic perspective also. Okay. And the, the other scenario was, uh, and you've talked about this also in, uh, in the past, I think, and especially in the 2012 book and also in, in your last book, uh, and you mentioned it now about this collective shift. This is also something I always uh, talk about that then what you say, and maybe you want to talk a bit more about this, like that we don't have rituals in the Western culture anymore, what that means for us. So what I've always also always say is that we need, need a collective mind shift, which would perhaps mean the next step in human evolution as well. And the, at the one hand, we have this challenge, which we could call the physical challenge with our environment going south. And then the other challenge also being artificial intelligence. We don't know if it uh, will be able to have a real consciousness and what that would mean for us. So how's your take on this issue of consciousness shift and initiation phases as is humanity? Okay, sort of like how in most cultures there's some kind of initiation. Exactly, and what it means, the situation yeah. we, are at, we have at hand yeah. right so, now so, as humanity. Because we haven't, in our culture, because this whole idea of there being like other dimensions or layers of perception have been taken away. Okay. So, you know, when, when most normal people here think of an initiation, they think it's like a cultural event, like, oh, yeah. that's cool, the Indians go and like dance with feathers or somebody stays up all night yeah. and they're... But, but actually, the, Joseph Chilton Pierce wrote a book called The Biology of Transcendence. And his argument in that book is that actually, you know, the part of our brain that makes us most distinctly human, I guess, is the uh, prefrontal cortex or whatever. Yeah. That's only evolved to its present state of complexity relatively yeah. recently in the last few hundred thousand years. And that uh, although it's working and, and it matures to really properly function, it needs like a secondary shock from outside, yeah. you know, preferably in like late adolescence or early adulthood. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, without that secondary cultural shock, you know, which could also happen naturally through an accident or something or a yeah. war or something like that, then there, there's a sort of, it's hard to escape the egoic individual yeah. self. Yeah. So that's why these cultures design these initiations where you would undergo a, some kind of training in, you know, visionary or transpersonal experience yeah. through, you know, walkabout or fasting or fire, fire walking or, you know, visionary plant shamanism. And the idea is that you would, you know, once people had gone out and seen into the spirit realms a little bit, then they were able to be be sort of welcomed back as mature adults into the community. Yeah. So in a society like ours that doesn't have that, we don't people, particularly men, it's, you know, but it's for both sexes, but maybe men particularly, often never become mature in that sense. They're yeah. they're always after their own self interest. Yeah. And that's what we see reflected in our failing institutions and so on yeah and the situation we have at hand with the environment forces us maybe to go through like a ritualistic phase where we get to a next step of i would call it human evolution human consciousness maybe you call it in a different way did i understand your work uh, yeah i think so correct? i mean um 
you know, in the break, breaking up in the head, I talked about Walter Benjamin, who's like an amazing German Jewish critic. Okay, and he noticed that like the First World War, you know, maybe that was like you know because of the loss of initiation that no matter what, humans have to undergo some experience of what he talked about is commingling with the cosmic powers. Yeah. That can be done through ritual, creatively, you know, uh, which we see like in you know in efforts to construct those types of rituals and like the transformational festivals yeah. like Burning Man or something. Oh, but if it doesn't happen through some you know culturally constructed ritual, yeah. then those same forces will often get unleashed destructively through yeah. wars or genocides or whatever. Yeah. So those forces get bottled up, and in a way, like obviously, like you know, we knew about you know the ecological crisis since the '60s, you yeah. know, and you know we even knew about greenhouse gases, and you know we didn't know maybe it was going to go this fast, but we knew that we that we were you know pushing the limits way back when. Why haven't we been able to deal with it? Well, it's almost like we've been, you know, forcing this situation, like forcing a crisis circumstance yeah. where we either bring about our own evolutionary metamorphosis or, yeah. we, or we die. And which paradigms do you think need to be challenged for a better future? Yeah, well, I don't think that we can survive with this current uh, capitalist economic system. Okay. And I have a lot of friends who are kind of, you know, conscious or green entrepreneurs. Yeah. In fact, I just talked to a friend yesterday and he's starting a new company, which is, is trying to figure out how to monetize the growing of like a trillion trees around the planet. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, I just have a dubiousness around... Um, you know, this, this effort that you see now, people trying to squeeze profit, you know, out of the, you know, Green. ecological emergency. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, so that's, that's the big issue. You know, I mean, in a way, like as I, in How Soon Is Now, I talked about um, this Italian political philosopher, Antonio Negri. Yeah. And, you know, his definition of capital yeah. is ultimately capital is a social relation. Yeah. You know, yeah. which basically means doesn't really you know exist it's 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 something that we've reified yeah you know if somebody owns a billion dollars what do they actually own they own you know legal you know documents they own you know data that's swirling in the you know digital banking system and so on so we've you know it's just that humans have, you know have made a social relation where we've defined that that person gets to control all of that value you know okay but it's it's you know it's ultimately an imaginary construct of the mind yeah. right so, you know, what we really would need to do would be to rethink from the ground up how we, you know, create value, how we ascribe value, and then really only allow kind of value-based activity has to be stuff that is, is, is supporting this transition right now. Yeah. You know, and that, that you know, it, it's kind of, it would be kind of draconian in a way, but, you know, we're, we're definitely going to hit the skids if we keep doing this. Okay, so to sum it up, it would be basically the paradigm of uh, capitalistic economy needs to be challenged, uh, profit-oriented or shareholder. Yeah, it's a, it's a design, you know, it, yeah. it's a system design thing that, you know, has been going for a few centuries, yeah. and it got us to this point. It was extremely yeah. efficient, it, you know, did all sorts of things for us, but it's now in direct conflict with, uh, you know, continuity. Our survival. Our survival, yeah. yeah basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you have ideas or do you, are there people you feel like uh, they have good solutions that you see that you would like to point out? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously in the U.S., there's you know the Green New Deal. Yeah. You know, I think that's a great idea. I mean, rather than, I mean, you know, that's still within the current paradigm yeah. of the dollar-based economy, but rather than creating these huge deficits and handing it to uh, military to build, yeah. you know, more, you know, weapons of torture and surveillance devices, yeah. you know, why not, you know, if you're going to create money out of nothing anyway, you know, fund a, you know, just transition to a sane, ecologically regenerative society. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, then we do have lots of, you know, scalable solutions that could be, you know, exponentially implemented, yeah. you know, using finding the juncture of like indigenous techniques and, you know, contemporary technologies. Yeah. You know, even there, it's quite possible it's too late, to be honest. I mean, in terms of how, you know, the curve of what's happening, particularly with the methane, you know, like, you know I mean, CO2 uh, lasts in the atmosphere for about 100 years. Uh, methane is something like 30 times more potent as a, as a heat-trapping gas than CO2. Okay. So it only lasts in the atmosphere for like 10, 10 years. Yeah. And that's what's bubbling up, you know, in the Arctic right now. Yeah. And so you, what, what you often have in the extinction record in the past is these periods where like tons of species go extinct in a short period of time. Yeah. That's probably because you have this massive eruption of the methane. Yeah. And so suddenly you have like, you know, six degree warmer climate in a decade. Yeah. And, you know, every, every organism has evolved to fit into certain niches. Yeah. And, and then, you know, so anyway, so, you know, and then the other issue with the warming is we lose the tropical forest. We're losing the forest right now. We lose the plankton in the ocean. Yeah. So that produces, you know, plankton produces 60% of our oxygen. Yeah. Forest produce 20% of our oxygen. Yeah. So then what's producing our oxygen at that point? I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but anyway, so the, the hopeful point would be to, you know, just, I mean, really turn humanity's direction in, in, you know, focus in this direction. And yeah, I mean, you could have, you know, global tree planting projects every weekend, reforestation projects, you know, hand, people learning on a, on a handcraft level how to, you know, work organically with bees and so on. You know, like, we can do what we can to, you know, stop and reverse the damage. But at the moment, we're accelerating yeah. still in the wrong direction. Yeah. In terms of the economics, I think it would be a blockchain-based system that would ascribe value to, you know, ecologically regenerative systems. Yeah. And then you would, you know, your profit your, would be based on how much you are enhancing, contributing, the, contributing to those yeah. systems. And if you're removing from those systems, then, then you're penalized you know, yeah. harshly, which is okay. the opposite of what we have now. At yeah. the moment, you know, with the capitalist economic system, you have uh, externalities. Yeah. So corporations don't have to pay to yeah. pollute. I mean, even like you're, you know, you're shooting me with all this lovely gadgetry from yeah. Apple and so on. Every six months or a year, they make people who need to stay on top of this stuff buy like a whole new thing. Yeah. It's full of rare minerals, conflict minerals, yeah. minerals from Africa. I mean, four million people have died in, yeah. you know, Cameroon or whatever because of uh, genocides around conflict minerals yeah. to make these iPhones. You know, yeah. these things could be built to their component based. Yeah. You know, so you don't replace replace a whole model as soon as it goes down. But they've, you know, they've made them as slick as possible, as yeah. seductive as possible. You know, it's part of the capital system based yeah. on planned obsolescence and yeah. conspicuous consumption, yeah. which is what you know drives the profit margins for these companies. Yeah. So, how do you think this this system could be changed? I mean, politics moves very slowly. Yeah, well, I mean, I, ha I had hopes for the Extinction Rebellion movement, but now it doesn't feel like it has enough traction to me. Okay. Um, I think that, I mean, any movement that starts, whether it's Occupy or Extinction Rebellion, it's, it's like it's like a hyper, you know, what an occultist would call like a hyper sigil, yeah. you know, so it attracts certain types of energies to it. Yeah. And, you know, in a way I liked Extinction Rebellion because it was like super punk rock and was kind of like, 
you know, how to sort of fuck the system, energy, yeah. and so on. But I think that we need a hyper sigil for global movements that is extremely utopian and super positive. And also, for me, you know, as I said, like I've gone through, you know, mystical and psychic experiences. So I know that there is a deeper story to the nature of reality that we are like, you know, woven into the nature of consciousness itself, that, you know, the, the world we're experiencing is sort of consciousness having a dream or telling yeah. a story to itself. Yeah. We're all part of that story. You know, I think that actually there is a new paradigm that can be defined that is based on the, you know, kind of precise integration of uh, science and mysticism. Yeah. You know, you know, quantum physics and Vedanta and so on. And that that provides a sound basis for people to feel that their lives actually have meaning yeah. and that actually they can sacrifice material excess to contribute to something that will bring them evolution on like a spiritual and soul yeah. level. Yeah. So that, that for me would be, you know, and I, that, but, I, but I doubt, I tend to doubt that there's time because I feel people have gotten so imprisoned in, you know, they've been, you know, the indoctrination of the, you know, media and the sort of, you know, commercial ideologies, you know, I mean, that's why I was really, I've been fascinated also about the psychedelic renaissance as, um, could, you know, could at least provide people those, those direct experiences mm. where they have insight that, you know, there's a bigger story going on and that, you know, it often can change people's focus faster mm. than other things. But, but on the other hand, even that, I'm also beginning to have questions about because it's, I feel that it's being kind of domesticated into the, you know, entrepreneurial capitalism system, you know, yeah. rather than being seen as something that can deprogram people from that, that, that whole system. How do you mean the last thing you said, that it's being domesticated? Yeah, well, it's like microdosing okay. is now yeah, seen yeah, as like yeah, something yeah. that you give to Google engineers because yeah, yeah, it makes yeah, them more productive. Yeah, 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 the same thing that happened with mindfulness. Yeah. That, you, know, be, be the, you know, the capitalist machine yeah. is incredibly efficient at um, assimilating anything different, anything threatening, uh, absorbing, you know, it's sort of like you know, like a metabolizes, it like absorbs whatever it can use and everything else gets ultimately kind of like shunted to the side, you know. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I mean, I've never been at Burning Man and you've been a lot. But what they always say is that there you find all the big heads of the Silicon Valley companies there as well. Why is it not happening? That Because they have most power. They have more power perhaps than the American president. So why is it not happening that although they go to Burning Man, most of them definitely have experience with uh, psychedelics. Steve Jobs himself, he said it was one of his most profound experiences. Right, and he was still was had no problem tormenting you know teenage workers in Asia and stuff like that. Right. So and this is my question: what, what do you think? Why is it not happening? Although the, these people are making these experiences. Right. Well, I mean, so I don't think that psychedelics by themselves make you you know an empathic and enlightened soul, um, you know, and in fact, you know, they can be used for power and, you know, and so on. And, and also, I mean, I had high hopes for Burning Man uh, a while back, like in Breaking Up in the Head. I was very excited when I first went. But over time, I feel that, once again, it's this assimilation process. There was kind of like a, a tension between kind of a, you know, anarchist, hippie, you know, let's save the world, kind of radical spirit, 
and more of a hedonistic libertarian uh, ethos. And I feel that the over time the hedonistic and libertarian libertarian ethos has triumphed. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so you know, the Burning Man has ten very interesting principles. You know, leave no trace. You know, nobody's a spectator; everybody's a participant. You know, um, etc. But um, it it doesn't do anything. It it leaves the question of like social inequality and wealth kind of out of the table. So essentially, Burning Man becomes a reality defined by the wealthy people who are the yeah. ones who build the giant stages or the big art cars and people gravitate to, to the spectacles of, of these things that cause. So it's, it really, in the end, has just replicated kind of the dominant culture. Yeah. It's like instead of having yachts, you have art cars. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And um, that, 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 that liberational spark, I feel, has now been you know, assimilated in, into something. I mean, you know, it's still better than there not being a Burning Man. I mean, I mean, I have gone there and had really amazing conversations with you know people at the peak of the pinnacle of these different professions and yeah. you know wealth holders and so on. And you know, and once again, what you know, what's going to be most interesting to have to see is what happens, you know, in the next few years as this crisis ratchets up and intensifies, yeah. because you know, yeah, some super wealthy people may decide that they're going to. I mean, I already know some move to New Zealand or you know, develop underground bunkers or something, but, you know, that's, that's, that's not a sustainable solution either. Yeah, it's not a solution. No. Okay. My final question is really, what would you like your legacy to be? In the sense of what impact would you like to leave behind with your work? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question. I don't really think in those terms. I, mean, I just wanted to. Um, I mean, I, you know, I grew up in a literary culture. My mother was a literary writer and editor, and so when I grew up, the idea was to create like a book, like a literary icon that would last generations and so on. I mean, now I feel that the pace of transformation is so quick, and what we're going towards maybe is so different that I'm just trying to figure out how to help the most, you know, be of service in, in, in the process. You know, definitely I feel that, you know, being humans on the earth, we're in an interesting, kind of exciting situation. It's like an incredible, you know, video game, movie, holographic projection that we get to experience. Yeah. And certainly it would be more interesting and exciting to see a positive evolution yeah. and, you know, to participate in that. Yeah. You know, whereas, you know, what we see now is kind of like, it's like grim. I mean, we have like people in the U.S. who now are like hating on black people again and, yeah. you know, storing guns and, you know, China is like, you know, mind controlling everybody and, you know, making it so they can't even like, you know, step out of line and they lose all their privileges or whatever. And that's probably going to, you know, transfer to other cultures that are yeah. similarly repressive. You know, we, we could move into a totally totalitarian, oppressive paradigm yeah. combined with total ecological breakdown. Yeah. You know, that would just be disgusting. Yeah. You know, whereas we could also move into an awakening into our, like, true nature as, you know, divinities, you know, unifying our human family and, you know, using our creativity, what we can learn from indigenous cultures and what we can take from... You know, modern technologies, we need to like definitely be more discerning and careful about how we use technology and then kind of re-engineer re our planetary situation to be like an enduring, you know, heaven on earth kind of a situation. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks for the interview.
Thank you for staying tuned for this edition of Changing Paradigm X. If you like this episode with Daniel Pinchback, feel free to share it with your community so his message gets spread even further. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact me or write into the comment section. And next week we're up with the next episode of Challenging Paradigm X. So until then, I wish you a great week and say ciao.